0: excited to be able to share with you this morning, things from the Word. Yeah. Before I do that, I'd like to pray at this time, the Lord, Father, thank you for the Word, Lord, thank you for the way it was written, and the men who wrote it, men who delivered it, thank you for their sacrifice and their labor love and their desire to honor you, Lord Jesus, through their words. I pray today, Lord, that we would not violate that in any way, God, that we could bring it the way it was meant to be shared and meant to be taught. I ask you, God, for your wisdom. I ask you for your strength. I pray for the Holy Spirit just to come and fall upon us, Lord God, and open up our hearts and minds to the scriptures. May the Holy Spirit do His work in each of us today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Okay. John chapter 12. Starting with verse 12, going through verse 26. I may touch on 27. That's part of Sean's message next week, but sometimes I think. Where we cut it off, sometimes you almost have to overflow. But I may not. I don't know. We'll see when we get to there. But I, um, this is a, this is actually a Palm Sunday message. So next week's Easter, and uh, you believe that? I'm just joking. This is a. What is this thing doing? Is that me or testing? Testing, one, two, three. Okay, we're all right? Uh, So, just to get into this a little bit, let me give you a little bit of a timetable here. Back in chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover. Now, how many know Jesus was killed on Passover, correct? So, this is six days before Jesus was killed, starting in chapter 12. So the rest of this book takes up about ten days, nine or ten days of Jesus' life. Not really his life, it's just six days of his life and then three days of his, you know, being in the tomb and resurrected and, you know, meeting the disciples. So I wanted you to see that because basically we were at the, half, the halfway mark of the Gospel of John and it starts the last week of Jesus. I, I think that's worth noting because you begin to see how the writer slows everything down so that you and I won't miss a word or even an event that takes place during the last week of Jesus' life. It's so important for us to know that, at least in his thinking, and I think that's that's worth knowing that. He wants us to see every little detail. This happens in in the Gospel of John. Uh, now, if you look at where we start today on verse 12, and I'll read this in a little bit, it says on the, on the next day. So now we're starting the fifth day. There's five days before Passover, the next day. This from one through 11 happened six days before, now on the next day. So I want you to see these, these timelines because I think these are very important for us to, to help us with our understanding of why things are being said and things that Jesus is saying. Jesus is running out of time. He's running out of time, and the reason I think some of the stuff he says, you know, you, when you're running out of time, some of the most important things you need to give, instructions you need to give, you're said at the last moment, you know, like when you're getting ready to go somewhere, you know, you're, it's like, uh, okay, don't forget to turn the oven off. Okay, check, check the dog, you know, you're giving out these instructions. That's just silly, but Jesus is giving instructions. He's speaking things because his time is running short. So the next 10 chapters or so covers his last week, his death, burial, resurrection, all right? Now, I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read 12 through 19, I think kind of a break there, but I'll read this, and if um, you want to follow along in your Bible, or I think uh, Chase has it up there maybe, uh, John chapter 12, starting with verse 12 through 19, it says, on the next day... The great multitude who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the the branches of the palm tree and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. And so the multitude who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead were bearing, witness, bearing him witness. For this cause also the multitude went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. The Pharisees therefore said to one another, you see that the, you're doing no good Look, the world has gone after him. All right. There's a couple of great multitudes here. There's a great multitude that, that uh, was there when Lazarus was raised from the tomb. They saw him raised from the tomb. So this great multitude heard he was coming to Jerusalem, so they wanted to be there when he came. And then there was another great multitude, the ones who had heard about what he had done. So there's two great multitudes here. I want you to see that. And they're all there in Jerusalem. Now listen, this thing was not done in a vacuum. Think about this. We're talking about not just a multitude. We're talking about a great multitude. There is a lot of people that know about Jesus at this point. A lot of people. And it stirred a lot of, you know, things up in the community and in in Jerusalem. Pharisees, they, they were stirred up about all this. Look, the whole world has gone after him. I'd say if it's the whole world, that's a pretty great multitude. So there was a crowd chasing after Jesus at this point. Okay. And they came because they'd heard Jesus was coming. By this time, Jesus was well known. It seems the crowd was expecting something from him as he came to Jerusalem. And the reason is, is because they took up this cry for one thing, this is some, This is something out of Psalm one eighteen. This thing about Hosanna, blessed is he. It comes out of Psalm one eighteen. And every time they'd have a Passover, they would sing this song in a song. You know, they sung the Psalms a lot of time, and they would sing this song, Hosanna. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, and don't persecute me for this. But Hosanna is not a praise term. Hosanna is a save now. It's a declaration. We want you to save us. Save us. Save us now. It was sung at Passover. So what the, the the plea, the cry of their heart of save now, it's a Passover expectation that God's Messiah would return and deliver his people. Now, how many of you have been to a, a Seder? Anybody been here? Everybody been to a Seder here? It, isn't it true that they set a, a, a chair at the table? This means yes, no. They set a chair at the table because that chair is for who? It's okay to talk in church. It's for Messiah, right? That chair is for Messiah. They leave that. And so this song goes along with that. It's like saying, hey, we've got a chair for you. Come, come and deliver us. Save us. They put a chair at the table waiting for Messiah to come and deliver them you remember the first Passover? It was regarding deliverance. It was a deliverance thing. Passover was getting out of Egypt and going to the promised land. So this second, every time they celebrate Passover, they're looking expectantly for God to deliver them. The only problem with the Jews was they didn't know they needed to be delivered. I was talking to some of the guys in the hallway you guys realize that Judaism was the best religion going of its day? It's still a pretty good religion. Hello? It's a great religion. In fact, you find throughout Scripture, even back in the first Passover, wasn't there some Egyptians that left Egypt and followed the Israelis and went into the wilderness with them? Why? Because they began to see the greatness of God. And there's a lot of Greeks, there's a lot of people who were gentiles became proselytes. I'm thinking I'm saying that proselytes, they were proselytes of the Jewish faith. They were still gentiles, they they had a gentile court at the temple where you could only go in there, you couldn't go into where the Jews went, a full Jew could went but you could become a Jew in a sense. And this happened to a number of people in that day because looking at all their pagan gods and how immoral they were and looking at this one god system where God, and listening to the laws and the teachings, they would say, well, this makes a a lot more sense because Jesus, or because God teaches things that are in accordance with the way we live and what life is all about. So a lot of people converted to Judaism because it was a great religion. You got Jesus coming to people that have the best religion on the face of the earth trying to convince them that isn't enough. That's a tough, that's a tough thing to do, right? I want you to see how difficult this is. You know, when a person's broken and you need something, then it's easy to, to grab onto a fix. But when you don't think you're broken, it's a little hard to want to apply a fix to your life. And that was the situation with Jesus trying to convince the Jews. No. It's not Rome you need to be delivered from. It's sin you need to be delivered from. Right? Well, that would been a great place for an amen. Hey, thank you. Got to drag it out of you. Come on. <laughs> anyway, so that was a the situation. They were saying to, to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem, save now, save now. crowd was giving Jesus the place at the table. They were giving him that place of Messiahship. And they were calling on him to show his power. They're saying, Jesus, we've heard. You raise the dead. You heal the blind. Show your power. Deliver us from Rome. That's what the cry was all about. Even the disciples thought this. Show your power. Now, the fact that Jesus rode a colt of a donkey is an interesting gesture. First of all, it doesn't say this in John. It doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the donkey and all that and all the disciples going and getting it and all that. They just put a little blurb in here that he rode. The, but it's, it's, you, can, you can study this synoptically. You can find it in Mark. You can find it in Luke. You can find it in uh, Matthew and all the Gospels. But in Luke's gospel, it says it's a little more specific, and it says this, that they went and they found the colt of a donkey on which no one had ever sat. I love bringing this out. I don't know. I mean, I got this from a commentary, or I might just saw it myself. How many of you ever, maybe this would be a question for Virgil, how many of you ever got on a colt of a donkey in which no one has ever sat? anybody know what that'd be like it'd, it'd be a quite a wild ride I mean we had a pony that was supposed to be trained one time and it turned us ever which way would lose I bet I I to me when you're the prince of peace you want to show people that you are the prince of peace and you get on a donkey that no one ever sat and that thing just takes you right into town that's saying something right there huh that's saying something he tamed that thing right down well I just want to bring that out and then, that's the first thing that I thought was an interesting thing. The second thing is that in ancient times, if a king comes to your city on a donkey, it meant that he came in peace. You know, you're not going to ride a little mule or a, or a little donkey, not a mule, but a donkey, and expect to do much pow- much in battle. I mean, can you imagine trying to attack people on a, one of them little things that's doing like this? You know, it... it uh, it just doesn't make sense. If you came with your horse, then you meant business. You were ready to go to war. But if you came on a, on, a, on a so that they see you from the walls of the city coming on your donkey, it's telling the people in the city, I've come in peace. So Jesus was telling people, and God through the prophetic word was telling people that he was coming in peace because he was the prince of peace. He was not coming as a warrior. And the fact that it says here that your king is coming. Your king, this is who he is. He is a king. And I thought it was interesting that Mary had anointed him with this Spike I did a little more study on Spikenard. I, I went there, believe it or not, online you can find about anything. There's the history of perfume. You know that? There's a place online called the, the historical study of perfume. And I found, <laughs> I found this. I, well, first thing I found in the comparison between what Mary had, a pound of pure nard, and did you know that the most expensive perfume, does anyone know the most expensive perfume in the world? I found this out. It was called Imperial Majesty is the name of it. And they, it comes from the Far East, naturally. It's in a crystal, a cut crystal glass type thing. It has a gold lid and it has a five carat diamond on top of the lid. That in itself is very valuable. But when they put the perfume in it, that little jewel sells for $215,000. Well, when I read that, I thought, man, that's amazing. And then I read a little farther and it said, what Mary had in her possession was worth more than that by today's standard. And then you read on, no one in a low-class, peasant-servant-type existence could even expect to ever smell nard except when the most wealthy person in the world would walk by for a king. It says in those writings that kings normally had this, It was a very sticky substance. You stuck some on your neck, and you'd smell good for months. I mean, it, it was a very powerful, powerful perfume. Okay, the reason I say that is because the, the fragrance of that, somebody said it was like the fragrance of real strong lavender. Anybody smell, not lavender, is that right? Yeah. Lavender, yeah. Lavender, uh, lavender. Yes, yeah, very strong lavender. i I'd say all that to say this. Here comes Jesus on a donkey, He is the king, and kings should smell like kings, couldn't they? What had happened? Mary had just doused him with a pound of that stuff, and Jesus said, Jesus said, she has prepared me for my burial. So he's going into his last week, and anybody that touches him, anybody that gets near him, They smell the most expensive perfume because that perfume did not come from the Middle East. It came from the Far East. It came from places like Nepal and India and western China. That's where they had to get this substance to make this pure nard. We don't even know how Mary ended up with it. Maybe it's because they were a very wealthy family. We don't know. It doesn't tell us anything about their social status. But the thing is, Jesus got more dumped on him than a human could possibly handle and everywhere he went, he smelled like a king. So when he came by the crowd on that donkey, he was not only not only saying by his donkey and what they were saying about him that he was a king, he smelled like a king too. I think that's important to know that. But Jesus never used his authority. His secular authority to overthrow the Roman government. That was not why he was there. Now, like I said in the beginning, there was two multitudes here. Those who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead and those who'd heard about it. And then we got the response of the Pharisees. Rather than them seeing what was taking place and believing what was taking place, all they could see was they were losing their grip on the religious world. The whole world has went after him. It's a very prideful, you know, rejecting type thing to say about the Lord Jesus. Now, I'd like to um, continue on here a little bit. Let's read 20 through 26. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the fest Feast. at the feast. These, therefore, came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come, the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, And dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we have Greeks coming to see Jesus. And something was triggered in Jesus, I think, when when he realized Greeks wanted to talk to him and see him. He had never really went to Greeks. He went to Samaritans who were kind of offshoots of the Jews, but he never went to the Greeks. He never ventured out that far. And these Greeks must have been uh, proselytes. They were... People who had accepted the Jewish faith and they were coming there to the feast that was coming up that week. They said they wanted to see him. They may have went to Philip because Philip is a Greek name. His name is Greek, so they probably heard Greek. Philip, oh Philip, he must be Greek. Well, Philip is is more of a Greek name than some of the other names. So they contacted him and. They didn't know what to say, so they went and told Jesus what was going on. And as soon as Jesus heard it, he says something very strange. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." Well, <clears throat> you remember going back in the Gospel of John, there was places where Jesus mentioned his hour. Remember his mother in John chapter 2, he looked at his mom when she said something about them running out of wine. He said, Mother, my hour's not come. And then there was numerous occasions, I think if you've heard me preach before, there was a lot of occasions in John where the Jews would try to kill him. You know, they'd try to push him over the pinnacle of the of the the hill there in his hometown. They tried to kill him. And every, and he would just pass through their midst. It says, and it would say, his hour had not come. His hour had not come. I, I kind of get on, get on that a lot. I didn't realize it was in this scripture that he says it again. As the Greeks seek him out, it seems Jesus began to realize that his hour had come. Now, and I don't know, you know, I can't get into the mind of Jesus, but you the Bible says we have the mind of Christ, but I would almost think that Jesus is beginning to put all things together and realize that uh, this is the Passover, that it's going to happen. I don't know. I'm just saying that. Because he went through a few other Passovers. You know, this wasn't his first Passover. But he began to realize it's now. It's going to happen. And then he gives us, he gives us a few scriptures here. And uh, it's a little hard for me to say accurately. You know, you can read commentators. You can read all kinds of things on this. But there's three scriptures in 24, 25, and 26. And I would like to think that, in the Jewish mind at least, these scriptures follow each other. They're they're trying to build something in our thinking about about what it's all about. Because Jesus is going to be preparing. His hours come, So what's he going to be doing? He's going to be preparing his disciples for his death. Think about it. They think he's going to deliver them from the Romans. They think he's going to exert his power as the king. He's going to call an army together. This isn't going to happen at all because he's going to lay down his life. So he tells him, this is a very pointed scripture here in verse 24 where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is a principle, a universal principle. You take a seed, you put it in the ground. One seed, put it in the ground. As it grows up, it produces many seeds. Everyone can relate to that. Everyone. I mean, even people that don't farm can relate to that. That, Yeah. You know? Put one grain of corn in the ground, and the next thing you know, weeks later, we're eating corn on the cob. Lots of corn. It's just a principle. And Jesus is giving them that principle at the very beginning to let them know that this is the way things have to go. And then... Verse 25, he throws this in. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. So this principle of laying down your life so that things can come out of it, he is adding to that the thought that it's almost like saying this, I have a little piece of corn and... I just love this piece of corn. And I don't want to I don't want to let go of it. I want to keep it for the rest of my life. And somebody's saying, well, plant the thing. You'll you'll produce something. No, no, no. I want to keep this little corn here. And the word for love and hate here, sometimes we get those. I don't think the scriptures knew how to translate that in, in a better, but it's talking about if all you have is regard for your own life in this world. You're going to lose it. But if you, if you're, a, if you have a disinterested love for your life, in other words, you want to invest, you want to give it away, then you'll find it. Does that make more sense? It doesn't mean we got to go around hating ourselves. Okay, we use the word hate. The, the word really is more of a disinterestedness. It's not like you're running around trying to pad your life with everything around you and you end up just being alone. We see a lot of that today, you know. We love the pleasures of this life, but you know what? You're not always going to be 25 or 30. One day you're going to be old and you're going to look in the mirror like me and see your face sagging down to you. And you're going to think, you know, got to be more to live for than this. It's not always going to look the same. It's not always going to feel the same when you're young. So Jesus is speaking to young men. He's speaking to young disciples. You think taking care of your life, you think just putting everything around yourself so that you can have life, but you're going to lose it. If you don't learn to know how to invest it, And give your life to me. Because that's where he goes next with the next scripture. He says, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. We have to slow this down a little bit. It isn't like I go into a room and say, okay, Jesus, follow me. No, Jesus goes into the room, and we follow him. Find out where Jesus is going, and you be a servant there. See, that's, that's investing your life in the right way. It's not trying to take Jesus into places. It's like Jesus is wanting to take you into places where he goes. Are you seeing this a little bit? If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, that's where the life becomes eternal, where God gives you more. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to get involved in ministry. I'm saying you can just live this way. I've been around people where, I don't think I'm one of them, sad to say, but I think I've been around people that, man, I just see Jesus all over them. You know, they're just, they're just the kind of people that you can tell they serve Him. I had this picture in my head. I don't know why I had this picture in my head, but you've probably seen pictures like this or maybe seen it on the movies where some guy walks in, he's, he's in charge, he's the, he's the great schismo, and, you know, and behind him is a guy's walking kind of behind him like this you know it's his servant right have you ever anybody ever seen that you know i've seen it in other countries where the, the the big kahuna walks in and he's got somebody walking behind him that waits on him all the time you know well i got that picture in my head when i read this i thought jesus is the big kahuna he walks into the room where he wants you to go and you're walking in as a servant So everywhere you go, everywhere Jesus goes, he has a servant. You never get higher than a servant. That's it. And a servant's a worker. I always loved Brother Vic Bledhill. He liked Paul's definition of people that are involved in ministry. Worker. We always run around trying to figure out whether I'm an evangelist or I'm a teacher. And all that. Vic said, no, you're just all workers. Get busy. Get to work. Just work. Don't be worrying about all that other stuff. Just Work. Vic never went around saying he was an evangelist or a prophet or anything. He just worked. He just found, he found out where Jesus was going, and he'd follow. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. Find out what Jesus is doing and follow him. As you do that, you are laying down your life. You're laying down your life. And as you do that, you're planting seed in the ground so that it might grow. See that? I think that's what these verses was telling us. And I've got to share. I've got to go to 27. Sean, forgive me. You can teach on this next week bit more. But I don't think it breaks there. And the first thing Jesus says after he says this is, Now my soul has become troubled. He knows his hour has come. But he says, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Glorify your name. He's doing exactly what he's telling his disciples laying down his life so that he might glorify God. that's what we should do. Let's, Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion today, I pray, Lord, that we could see ourselves as those who are your servants. Lord, give us hearts to serve. Give us hearts to serve you first and one another, being willing to go into those places. Lord, I don't mean other countries and other, that way, but I just mean go into places where you're going, right here in our town, and be your servant there, lay down our lives there Lord, for you. God, I pray you'll invest us in the best places that you want for us, Lord. I pray that from that we could see things grow, we could see things grow, produce. You could cultivate us there and use us there, Lord, as we lay our lives down there. Bless your people today, God. Bless those that have come out today. May we just seek your face today as we take these elements, Lord God, as we see that Jesus laid down his body, laid down his entire life for us, for us to desire and be willing to do the same for him, Lord, as we Receive these elements today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. I had I had Addie Stall um, contact me.